Good day. It's very interesting. Brendo brought up that thing about praying for those who, who are not, um, who are not free. Obviously, there's issues in the whole world. And, but I was just, as he was saying that, I remember Paul the Apostle, um, he actually wrote to one of the churches and he said, you know, about, he was actually in prison and he's writing the letter from prison. He goes, look, what's actually happened is, is actually to the gain of the gospel, me being imprisoned. Um, the fact that I can't now go around the streets preaching because Paul was now locked up, so he couldn't preach the gospel. He said, but it's become known to, to everyone and to the whole palace guard that I'm actually put here for, for the sake of the gospel, for Jesus. Um, and he says, and what he said, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, what, what he says is so much so that it's actually encouraged the brothers who are free, brothers and sisters who are free, to actually go and preach the gospel more zealously. You know, and we, we, it's interesting. I mean, I'm talking to myself here. I mean, how often do you find yourself preaching the gospel? Uh, to, to be honest, if I was going to be honest with you, very little. Very little. But, but Paul's going, well, I'm locked up. I can't preach the gospel, but it's actually, it's, it's encouraged people so much so that I'm prepared to stay and be locked in prison. It's actually encouraged people who are free to actually be, preach the gospel even more. With zeal. Now we look at now. None of us are in prison, but none of us are sitting at living in a nation where you can't preach the gospel freely. I mean, we should probably be sparked up by the fact that some people, you know, that there's been opportunities for for refugees from some of these war-torn countries to actually be relocated to Westernized countries like Australia, like the USA, like Europe, who refuse to go because they know that they need to stay there in order to be there for the purposes of Jesus. That's a, that's a, that's a big call. That's a very, very big call. You, you imagine, just put yourself in that situation. And it's very hard for Australians or Americans, and even for South Africans at times. Uh, South Africans can probably picture it a little bit more because there is uh, a lot of, um, sort of issues for, for us there. But, um, you, you, it's hard for you to picture yourself being in a place where it is just so terrible. Just, there's no food, there's probably no, you can't foresee hope. In any way, um, there's there's a 50-50 chance that, you know, bombs could be dropped in your zone. Your kids could get killed, go missing. You go off to work and you come home to find your house has been pillaged, your wife and your children dead. Think about that. We don't we don't have that. So And, and then suddenly there's an opportunity where uh, the Australian government, knowing that you, I mean, you know what Australia is like. It's a beautiful land. Knowing that the Australian government saying to you, we will give you a refugee visa to come. There will be a place for you to stay. Your kids will be in a safe environment and you'll be able to work and survive and live in an area where it's safe. You, you think about how many of us in this room, and if we were all honest, we'd probably all go, that's me. We would jump at that opportunity. We'd be like, yes, I'm gone. But there's some people are going, no, um, we're going to stay. Now, we're not in that environment, and I don't expect any of us to pick up and move to that environment. But what it does is, like in Paul's day, it can spark us to actually go, wow, we have an opportunity that they don't, because we are free to become more zealous. That's not my message tonight, by the way. But I just picked it up during worship while Brenda was, was speaking. Think about it. Just think about it logically. I don't know about you, there's been times, honestly, where I've had, I've been embarrassed to say I'm a Christian and I know Jesus and I'm not going to lie to you. You know, there's, there's a, there is a form of persecution that comes in Western countries. Should we be that way? Absolutely not. But sometimes it happens. I'm not lying to you. If you were honest, you'd probably say, yeah, but that's happened to me a few times as well. But there's been times when I've been very, very, um, zealous to tell people. And to speak about it, not to hold back on it. You know, I hope that that becomes the 100% attitude of my heart. Why do we get nervous? I don't know. It's the fear of man. That's the only thing in the scriptures I can see. The fear of man is we're just worried what people are going to think. Our own reputation is more important than, you know, the fact that a person may hear it and go, wow, their heart surrenders to Jesus. I don't know. May God help us. May he help us not to be that way. Go to Kings, 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Don't let it be heavy. It's, it's just food for thought. You know what I mean? 
I can tell you what will happen. When, when, when a great awakening takes place in a country like Australia and people, the, the, the miracles are flowing, the signs of wonders are flowing, and people are, are talking about what's going on. Did you hear that person? And I'm talking about unsafe people. The news is starting to report it. When that starts hitting and people are fascinated, I guarantee we'll all be quick to say, I know Jesus. Yes, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church. We see that all the time, blah, blah, blah. We will. Why? Because because the society is on the on the this excited bandwagon of of Christianity. But when community is going, we don't need you. We don't want you anymore. Uh, it's not cool to be a Christian. Then then we suddenly sometimes become a bit quiet. We do. This is just, it's, it, it is it is real, but it has to change. So from uh, chapter eight, verse twelve. Let's read from there. This is Solomon speaking. It actually says there. Then Solomon said. Can't get that, you can't get, interpret that any other way. He's, this is what Solomon said. The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. Now that doesn't mean that God dwells in the midst of Satan's dark kingdom. When he says that God is so full of light that he has to cover himself with darkness for the sake of men. I mean, when he went on the, when the fire was on the mountain, a cloud came over the mountain to cover, to cover so that people didn't die. Uh, he says, the, the, the Lord has said that, that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you, this is Solomon saying, I, Solomon, have indeed built you, God, an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. So Solomon built the temple, right? Okay. Then the king turned and he blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said to them, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying this, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, so that my name may be there. Okay, God is saying this. He's saying that I haven't chosen any house, sorry, any, I have not chosen any city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house for me so that my name may be there. But I chose David to be over my people, to, to rule, to be king over my people. Uh, but I sorry, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. So God's going, look, I didn't choose a city in which to, to, to build my house, in which I'll dwell. I didn't choose that. I chose David. I chose David. I chose this man to be to be king over my people. From verse 17. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so let's just, oh, let's go, let's carry on with verse 18. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Right. Very interesting. This is, this is very key. God, God didn't choose any city, and God himself did not build the house. God chose a man, and it says in the scripture, but it was in the heart of that man to build that house for God. That is a, a picture of, of what it is to be a friend of God, to be co-laboring of God. You know, there is a, there's a saying where it says that, you know, you need to, you know, you empty me of, you must be emptied of your will so that God's will can fully dwell in you. Now there's, there's truth in understanding that. We should surrender our will unto the purposes of God. But it's, but what is in the, what is your desires of your heart, God fulfills. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a scripture that speaks about that. He will give you the desires of your heart. So, it was actually in the heart of David to build the house. So God chose, chooses men and women. Obviously, when I say men, I mean human beings, okay? Um, so God chooses you. 
And then he puts, then you have a desire. You have a desire in your heart. From the day that you're born, there is a makeup in you. God, God knit you together in your mother's womb. It's clear in scripture. So there's a, there's a makeup that you have. You are individual. You are specific. And, um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the, the video. Does anyone know, um, is it Christine Kane? Um, I think I might be right. Or, or, look, I might have the name wrong, but it's one of the, it's a lady, well-known lady who's written a few books. So I don't want to miss, quote who it is if it isn't her but i mean i'm not going to slate her i'm going to tell you something she said that was very interesting and i heard it and she she made this statement and and, and i need to listen more intently and and because it's so it's so profound in what she's saying but she she says this she says god doesn't love all of us equally which is a, a shocking statement. It's as shocking as a statement I made when I first started my series on what is the gospel, where I said to you, the gospel is not that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Yeah, that's a shocking statement. What? But the next thing is, the gospel is Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus. It's not that he died, it's Jesus. It's everything about Jesus. Who he was on earth, who he was before he came to earth. He was... Always before, the fact that he is God who became man, who did, yes, die. That's part of that message and obviously raised, and I don't want to go back and rehash it. But when she said that God doesn't love us all equally, I was like, what? And then, But then she says he loves us all uniquely, which is far more special. Because Marcel is unique and Jenny is unique and God created them that way. And you are unique, so he loves you in a unique way. To say that God loves everyone equally is to say that God only has a certain amount of love. But when he can love uniquely, his love is endless. It doesn't mean that he loves you less. That's different. Or loves you more. But in the way he uniquely loves Sean is enough and satisfying and full in how he uniquely loves Jeremy or Anna. None, none is more special. None is greater. None is less. But it's unique. So God designs each one of us. This is a weird sermon, by the way. I feel like I'm struggling to get it out, but it's, cause it, <laughs> but He loves, He, He, okay, so He creates Brendan and He creates Marcel. Let's use those two as an example. But Marcel and, 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 and Brendan are very different to each other. It's very, very clear. If you had to, if you knew them as well as I did, you would find out Brendan is, is very um, artistic, musical in the way he is. Marcel is, is, is not artistic. <laughs> He's not musical. But he has other traits, the way his mind can think, the way Brendan's mind thinks. Marcel is probably more grounded in how he thinks in a lineal way at times, whereas Bre- Brendo is more aloof. So you'll get frustrated with Brendan if you gave him Lineal tasks, as he forget, but Marcel would be a champion at it and he'll fulfill it. But if you gave Marcel um, an opportunity to, to do something creative, he would probably struggle with that and end up going to Lana, who would help him. He would. But Brendan would thrive in that. But he made them unique. And he loves them uniquely. From the day that they born, God has called them back to himself. Because remember, they are born into a fallen world. And God is constantly put a well he has put a desire in in their heart to search him out that's why mankind searches look here human beings are designed to seek out god but in a fallen rebellious state what we do is we seek out anything that is beyond ourselves so that that, that, you know when we 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 want we want to search the end of the universe we want to know is there something greater than us out there is there something more than what we have That, that is that is the rebellious side of man responding to the fact that God put a desire in your heart to search him out. And Romans says that it was plain through what God created that men should seek out his nature, that there was a God who existed. But because we're rebellious, we want to go, no, no, it's evolution. The big bang theory. Something greater, there was a big bang. Something greater, there was millions and millions of years. That's just the rebelliousness of man. But, but nevertheless, there is a desire in you to pursue God, and, and God has always, throughout your life, whether you saw it or not, has presented himself to, to us to come. When you come to God, your makeup is still the same. That 
the, Brenda was creative from the, from in his mother's womb. It didn't change when he got saved. But that will in Brenda, when he got saved, became sanctified. And then God uses that will when he surrenders his will to God to be used for the purposes of seeing God's will fulfilled on earth. That's the difference. But God respects and honors what's in Brendan and each one of you in building his kingdom. So, so okay, so let me just use a, an example that's right before your very eyes. There was a desire in me before I was born to probably pioneer things. It has been. I know I've been always been quite an adventurous person. I've always been um, someone who would give a, give things a go. Um, I would want to try try something at least. So there's, that's a pioneering. I'm, I'm prepared to leave the comfort of life to go and search something else out. So when I turned 17, I, I left home and I moved in with two friends of mine. You see, you, I, I didn't need the safety of mom and dad's home. When I turned a certain, and I had a job, then I turned a certain age, and I left the country, and I went and lived in the UK, and and, and uh, lived in England, and decided to to do that, and w- wanted to go start a new life there. So I've always, I've never needed the comfort. So it was always in my heart to do something. After being saved for six months, I felt in Mozambique, God say, I want you to plant a church. I want you to plant churches, is what I heard him say. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. Being in the, ch- in the church we were in, we learned what, it was, what, what this was all about. But if you look at me, and then you go down the road to uh, whatever ch- church one it's called, or you go to um, uh, uh, Helensvale, the Baptist church at Helensvale, or you go to Kings, or you go to Glow, or you go to Elevation, or you go to Hillsong. Or you, if you go to different churches, and then you look here, we're different. Why? Because what was, what was put in me was different to what God put in that person who started that church. Who's right? Does it matter? No, the person who was planting the church for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed and the kingdom of heaven coming, that person was right. That makes, that means both of us. But, but, but they can't walk in here and go, well, this is not what church is supposed to be. Well, who said that? Why? It was put into me. I fell asleep on my bed and I dreamt up what this would look like. I saw us having church in a coffee shop. Hence, we set it up like that. If we could, I would rather meet in a real coffee shop that's actually running and, and have a, a service in there. That's what was really in my heart. But it's not. So I, we made it look like this. Why? Uniquely in me. Do you get what I'm saying? But when I was, when I was unsaved, it was just simply I was living a rebellious life. But when I got saved, and God said, will you do what I ask you to do? When I said yes to that, I surrendered my will to his purposes. But God fulfilled the planting of Crossing Point, not because he came down and did it. He did it uniquely through me because I surrendered my will. Not that, not that I became a robot and just emptied myself, became dumb, and God said, I'm just going to download and I'm just going to move you around like a pawn. What God said to me is, Brad, I've knitted you together in your mother's womb. Marcel, I've knitted you together in your mother's womb. Brenda, I've knitted you together in your mother's womb. If Brenda didn't get saved and come to Jesus, he would still be a musician. He would just be playing worldly music in the world. And he'd probably be very successful, as he is now anyway. But when he came to God, then he surrendered that. God used what was already in him. What I'm trying to say is you don't need to be a robot. I'll wait till what God... No, God's already put something in you. I'm going to empty myself, God, and then just wait for you to do... No, son, daughter, I I put a part of me in you, and I made you the way you are, and I'm going to create opportunities, if you so desire, to want to surrender that will to me. When you surrender your will to God, it doesn't mean that God takes over you. It means that you become obedient to Him in using what is in you for the greater glory of his kingdom. Do you get that? It's it's hard because 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 we have we, there is a thin line in this teaching that we need to make sure we don't think outside of. When 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 it's for your selfish desire, it's not God's it's not in the line with God's will. Put it that way. Now if 
let me, I'll use Brendo again. Sorry, buddy. You're just in the front row and you're a creative guy. And so, and so I can use you across both sides, both kingdom and worldly. If, if Brendan decided that he wanted to do this for his own personal gain, it, the, what would happen is he would probably be successful in it. Surely. If he's, if he's a skilled musician and he pumped out a few records or, or albums, should we say now that records so old, uh, he pumped out some, he pumped out some records. It's, it doesn't even, you know. If, if he, if he threw out a few albums and, and end up playing live, he'd be pretty successful. Why? Because the skill is inside of him. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be in the kingdom to see that happen. But is it in line with the will of God? No. Why? Because it's not being used for the glory of his name. It's being used for the glory of Brendan's name and his fame and to line his pockets with money and to get his name out there. Simple as that. And he can do that as a born-again Christian. Brendan, as a born-again Christian, could not surrender his will to God. You know that as a born-again Christian, you do not have to surrender your will. You can carry on with your life. And that's where the selfish side comes. That's where it's the, serving your own selfish desires. But when you surrender it unto God, you say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want what you have given me to be used for you. But God's going, it's your desire. It's not my desire. My desire was you, Brendan. God, it says it here, it was clear. God chose a man. But it was in the heart of the man. Do you, do you understand? Is it, is it making sense? I feel like I'm laboring that point. The reason why I think I'm laboring it is because I'm worried that people walk away going, well, we must just do whatever we want to do. That's not the case. What you've got to do is the will of God for your life, utilizing what He's put in you for His greater good. That's the difference. So it's, it's this. God chose Brendan. But what's in the heart of Brendan is what God wants to see used. But it's His choice. It's your choice. You were God's choice. But how we serve God with what's inside of us is our choice. And God isn't the puppet master. He won't control you. You have the free will to choose that. Does it change how he loves you? Absolutely not. Will it have an, a consequence and an influence? Uh, sorry, will it have a consequence to the influence you have? Yes. Yes, it will. If we choose not to give over ourselves to God to be used for his glory, it does have an, a consequence. But when we do, we have an influence. Does that make sense? I hope so. It just feels like it's not going down well. Now I'm going to find another scripture. And I'm just going to try and get you there. Because this is the key. I'm going to show you this. Um, let me just find it first. Sorry. I've got a feeling it's not even in this book. It's probably in a different book. Let's just have a quick look. I can't find it. Isn't that strange? I'll find it now. Don't worry. I, I, I'm getting somewhere. This is the problem with not having a brain that retains numbers. See, I'm not made up that way. Some people, they'll be like, that's in 2 Chronicles 3.25. I'm like, it's in the Bible. I know that fact. I know, I know I'm going to quote something that's actually within Scripture. The scripture only came to me now. That's why I didn't put it in my notes. And I, by the way, I don't even have notes. So I'm just going to be honest with you right there. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. So I found it. Well done. I knew. Listen. Th this is how I knew it was in one of four books. And I knew it was the end of one of those four books. That's, that, that is good enough. Okay, that is, that's ingenious for me, if you know me. It's very strange that my actual profession in the, in the secular world, which is for the kingdom anyway, is I'm actually a project manager. And you'll look at me and you go, this guy's a scatterbrain. But when I'm actually at work, I know stuff. And I plan things and I have programs and I work according to those. It's very strange. I don't know how I do it. But it must be by the grace of God. Because that is definitely not me. I'm a circular sort of guy. 
mess. But I'm actually, if you come and you'll be like, wow, you actually have files and they're in order and you keep them up to date, you'd be well impressed. I, I wish you could all come and you'd have a different view of who I am. I'm two different people. I'm actually a contradiction right there. Let's, let's not dwell on me. It's not about me. It's about the will of God. <laughs> so God chooses David, but it's in the heart of the man. And the reason why God chooses David is because God already knows what's in the heart of David to build the temple. So now we're going to just fast forward a little bit to the fact that, number one, we know David didn't build the temple. I'll get to that in a moment. But we get to the end where David eventually decides, because God says to him, it's in your heart to build the temple. That's why I chose you. Chose you to be a king over a people, to lead them and govern them, and it was in your heart to build a temple for me. But you're not going to build that temple. Your son's going to build it. Now, David doesn't get despondent by that. What David does, he goes, well, if it's in my heart, I'm going to do everything in my power to see this thing fulfilled. So what I'll do is I'll gather everything that's required to build that temple. So David goes and he gathers all things that are required to build the temple. So when Solomon walks in, it's pretty much all the building material is there. Now you need to also understand something that God, that David passed down to his son. I mean, you think about it. Solomon built the temple. Do you think David did not feed into Solomon what that thing would look like? And the purpose of it and the importance of it. David would have shared his heart with his son constantly so that Solomon himself picked up his father's heart and his desire. So much so that Solomon went, wow, I'm actually going to build this temple, the one that my dad's been telling me about. And I'm going to do it because I know this, that God didn't choose a city, but God chose my dad. And it was in my dad's heart to build this temple. Wow, we talk, that's a whole different preach right there. It's a whole different sermon. But this is what David says. Therefore, so we've now seen Solomon... Uh, Bless the temple and say, this was in my dad's heart. Now we, we go back, back a few years, but now David has now prepared all the materials. And he says this from, from 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, verse 10, sorry. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth are yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. For your hand, so in your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make, sorry, in your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Then verse 14, then David says this, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer this so willingly? For all things, now this is after he's gathered everything, okay? He says, for, for all things come from you, and of your own, sorry, let me say that again. I should have bought my glasses. I do have glasses. I don't need them, but now I do. <laughs> For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Okay, so let me just break that down into today's English. He's going, all things come for you, from you, but, but from you we've been able to give to you. For we are strangers before you, and we are sojourners. That's, that's a whole other preach. As all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your own hand, and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. This is the key. What, what David is saying here, and if you go to the NIV, um, it, 
gives it a little bit more of an easier read of that. I probably should have used that version. But what David is saying in this situation is he's now got all this stuff and the people through David's influence have joyously come and given towards the building of this house for God. That's a huge influence. So the king, the king has portrayed what is in his heart to build this house for God. To the point that it's influenced the whole nation of Israel that they're not coming and, and, and begrudgingly giving towards it. They're coming and joyously giving towards the building of the temple. That, that's the key element there, joyously. But David then turns on and says, and maybe I should have read it out of the NIV. Um, maybe I can still. Just because it makes sense. I hope it does. Has anyone got an NIV Bible on them like right now? iPads. iPad 1. So outdated. It takes 100 years to start up. I should have updated a long time ago. Pardon? Uh, 1 Chronicles, the last chapter, which is I think 29. I've got it. I'm coming in there now. What was I on? 1 or 2 Chronicles? Tell me, please. 1 29, right to the back. Verse 10, I think it was. Was it verse 10? Yeah. So David, let's go from verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's much more easier to understand, right? That's pretty much what I was going to tell you. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days in the earth are like shadows without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I mean, so this is David, who's now managed to gather all the stuff to build the temple, got the whole nation getting excited, and then turns around and says, who are we to even take any sort of accolades or praise none of this that we have and provide it for the building of your temple None of the stuff that we've done would even, we would not be able to do it because ultimately it actually all just comes from you. Go back to the beginning. God chose David. But it was the desire of David to build the temple. It wasn't God's desire to build the temple. It was God's desire to choose David. See, God's desire is for you. You are his choice. And what's in you, God honors that when it's sanctified unto him to see that fulfilled. And he gives you the desire of your heart. But he gives you the desire of your heart when it's not for selfish ambition or selfish gain, but when it's in line with his purpose. Isn't that amazing? It's really that simple. The question is, what is in you? The next thing that I want to end with really ultimately is this. David doesn't build that temple. His son gets to build it. That's, that is incredible. So here we have, <laughs> listen, who gets the glory? That's the reality. Here's a man that God chooses. God didn't choose Solomon. He chose David. God promised David that he'll have a son who will sit on the throne. That's Solomon. Where did Solomon come out of? David. Why? Because God chose David. But in David's heart was a desire for God. He knew him from when he was in his mother's womb, but he watched him in the paddock as he watched over sheep, and God saw David's heart. God chooses David, and then God honors what's in the heart of David to build the temple, but then God does not allow David to build the temple. David then only gets to prepare it. He gives glory back to God, but his son gets to build it and gives glory to God. It becomes a multi-generational thing. It's incredible. It's, it's hard to, you see, you cannot draw a line and go, somewhere it started, somewhere it ended. It is a circular or a, it's a sphere. It's a, it's, the revelatory realm is not linear. It's a circle. It's a circle that takes you and, 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 um, Ezekiel sees wheels within wheels, and wherever the, the one wheel turns, the other wheels turn, and they go in different directions. What's, what he's seeing is revelation. We are lineal in our thinking. The kingdom is revelation from God is circular, but it's not circular, it's spiral. Because one revelation, you will see that same revelation again and again and again, but from a higher and higher and higher perspective as you continue to move upwards in your revelation. 
That's why the Bible says that nothing new is under the sun. That's why you can preach one sermon one year, and then a year later you can preach the same sermon, but there's a different level of revelation as you mature in God that comes, as it gets unraveled to you. That's why, you know, if I preach this sermon when I was saved for one year, it probably would have been more along the lines of, you know, surrender yourself to God and, you know, gather the stuff for the building of the temple. That's pretty much what my sermon would have been. And I would have motivated you to commit your life to building the local church that God's put you in because that's part of the temple of God. That's where my revelation was at. Was I wrong? Absolutely not. But now you come here and you see it from a different perspective as you mature with God. The key element is this. Number one, what's in your heart? And how do you put that towards serving God? Because I'm telling you, some of us will do big things and some of you won't. Brendan's influence through his music, through purely what God's put in him, is far greater in this city of the Gold Coast than my influences. It is. So is he greater than me? No. Am I greater than him because I lead a church? No. He's unique and I'm unique. He will never reach people I will reach and I will never reach people he will reach. He'll never have my influence and I'll never have his. And as we work together, we have an influence. Partnering side by side. That's how partnerships work. That's how the body operates. Okay? So, what's in you? Let me ask you a question. How big... Here's Paul the Apostle, probably the greatest church planter of his day. This is what happened. Let me, he did not walk with Jesus in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. How many churches, or what was the extent of the ministry of Judas Iscariot? Sorry, sorry, not Judas Iscariot, of Simon the Zealot. Judas Iscariot died. Simon the Zealot. Bartholomew. What was the extent of their ministry? What churches did they plant? How many sick people did they see healed? We don't know. There's nothing in there. They, they wrote nothing of the New Testament that we have. We might be able to go and find a letter that they wrote, but that's fine. I've written emails to people encouraging them. I've written letters to churches encouraging them. But they walked with Jesus. James, who writes the letter, is, is James the brother of Jesus, not James the apostle. We think it's James the apostle. It wasn't. We see James, the brother of Jesus, taking a leadership role in the church, but he was not one of the twelve. Do you get what I'm saying? Matthew, the tax collector, didn't, he, he dictated to someone who wrote Matthew. How many churches did Matthew, the tax collector, who walked with Jesus, plant? We don't know. What I'm saying to you is this. It's not about this big thing like David, because we go, well, David, he built the temple. You know what I mean? He was the king of Israel. Well, what about the other guys, the guys that walked with Jesus? What about Jesus himself not being so dear about his Ministry, this, okay, uh, let's, let's, I mean, yeah, the Son of God is not so dear that He's comfortable in, and, and he, he is comfortable to say, You will do greater things than I've done. Now, the evangelical church, the Western evangelical church, the religious side of it struggles with the fact that we will do greater things than Jesus because, because we've, we, we've, we can't. We can't comprehend that. Well, Paul did greater things than Simon the Zealot. He did greater things that we don't even know how many churches John, who, John wrote some great books. How many churches did John plant? Paul planted more. Paul suffered more. So it comes back to that. Who's the greatest? And Jesus turns around and says to a little child, he says, that's the greatest in the kingdom. That little child who will simply do what I ask him to and not question me, that's the greatest. That one who will receive my kingdom, like a little child, they'll believe everything I tell them. They'll be naive enough towards me to believe everything I tell them. As we get older, we become more clever. Then we question God. 
Oh, surely God's not going to... And some of you are probably questioning now. Surely God's not going to honor the desire. I need, my desire needs to become His desire. Now, your will needs to be surrendered to God so that He can use the desire in you and you and you and you to see the glory of His kingdom come. That's co-laboring. That's what it is to co-labor with Jesus. Not, and he says, this is incredible. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And the church in the Western world has gone back to just being, no, it must be servants. We just blatantly go out and we just serve the King of Kings. And we don't ask questions and we, we serve. Dialogue with God. Dialogue with God. Part of, part of your faith is doubt. Doubting, is this God or isn't it God? This is such a big task. I, I doubt it must be. Part of, part of a relationship with a friend is sitting and dialoguing about what you agree on and what you don't agree on. But ultimately, when you sit before your friend who happens to be the great king of kings, you have to come to the conclusion he's right. But I don't know how many of you ever sit and correspond with God in the way like, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want to. No, I know, I know what you want me to do. But, but Father, I just don't want to. I don't want to. Jesus, I don't want to do that. But in your heart, you know that when he stands there, his simple word is, you know I'm right. And you do. You know he's, he's right, even when you choose not to do it. <laughs> I mean, I've chosen not to do things that God's asked me to do, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, he's 100% right, and I'm 100% rebellious in my response to him. And he's gracious and merciful to allow us to have that conversation with him. And if you've got an issue with having a, a hard conversation with God, you need to go look at the Psalms and read where David himself doubts God, argues with God, accuses God, but concludes, you are who you are. You are the great I am. You are the ancient of days. You are the star breather. You are the father of lights. You are the exalted, eternal, gracious father. And you are always in power, always on your throne. You have no desire to do harm to us. That, that's what David concluded. But he did, did he not thrash it out with him? Did he not whinge and whine and moan, this great man who's a friend of God, the greatest king that ever lived, who God chose? Think about it for a moment. Don't be so religious about your relationship with the Father. He's not looking for servants. Bond servants, yes. I'm a bond servant of God. But it's a bond servant. You know what a bond servant really is? It's someone who willingly gives himself to serve somebody because they know that being with that person is far better than being out there by themselves. Think about it. But he doesn't call you servants. He calls you friends. And this is where the circular thing comes. Is God says, Sean... You're not a servant, you're a friend. And you go, that's amazing. He goes, you're actually a son. And you go, that's amazing. But I want to come before you. And I want to offer myself as a servant to you. And he goes, the heart is to serve, but you're actually a son. The, the desire, like they would say, Paul, a servant of God. Uh, the word is bond servant, not a slave. Paul, a bond servant of God. Paul took on the attitude of knowing what God had called him to, but the attitude of his heart was to come and serve the purposes of God. And he was a friend of God. So the, what I pose to you tonight is simply this, in closing. What is it that God's put in you? <clears throat> and then, the, then I ask this question of you. Will you, and me, will you surrender that so that it can be utilized for the glory of serving God? For the glory of seeing his kingdom manifest. Whether it's in business. We're not look, I'm not looking for people to go, we're going to start ministries now. If you're called to do that, that's what will happen. That's, if that's in your heart, then when you surrender it to God, that's what will manifest. Amen? I'll read you one, one um, quote quickly. And then we can close. Please don't walk away thinking we can do whatever we want. So I'm just loading this. I can't load my thing up. Technology, it, slow, it really slows us down, doesn't it? Sometimes. You see, this is, I'll, I'll just say this to you. God gives us kingdom principles. 
And those kingdom principles, you see, when, and, and you need to remember this, in your pursuit with the desire of your heart. As I sanctify myself to God, we begin to see the, the, the principles, the guidelines in which God gives us. They're kingdom principles, kingdom guidelines. They cannot be manipulated. They cannot be changed. But within the confines, and those confines bring us a freedom, not a restriction. They're, not, they're, they're boundaries that bring freedom, not boundaries that restrict. Religion puts boundaries that restrict. The kingdom puts boundaries that bring freedom, right? Within the boundaries of truth that cannot be manipulated nor changed by man because they are absolute, in that environment, you are free to explore the desire of your heart unto his will. Does that make sense to you? That was actually such a religious statement to make. In a sense of like, it was perfect religious language. You are free to explore the desire of your heart within the confines of His kingdom boundaries to the glory of His will. I'll read this quote. The normal Christian life is actually a partnership between God and each one of us that's played out in everyday living as we become a gate of heaven, releasing the manifestation of God's reality for those around us. I'll read it again, slowly, hear it. The normal Christian life, and, and hear, it in the, hear it in the context of the desire of your heart. Okay, so I'll use you again, Brendan. I've been to night quarter, and if you go around to places, Brendan is more than likely going to be supporting some band, supporting some singer. And I've seen him go there to his, you know, I'm not pumping up his tire here. But, but, but honor is, I've watched him go and just be a support for another artist, another musician to help them better themselves. Because some girls up there or some guys up there and they've just got an acoustic guitar or a keyboard and Brendan will step in with his acoustic guitar or his electric guitar and he will add value to that person as they play their music. That's called serving. Well done. Now, Brennan's, I, I know Brennan's not a prideful guy, and maybe he deals with that in the background with God, so be it. But if you go around, you'll see him. He's doing something. It's everyday life for Brendan. What's your everyday life? Mine is I go to an office, and then I walk on building sites, and I, and I deal with people that, are, that have got millions of dollars and want to build stuff. And I've got a few colleagues that are around me. That's my everyday life. What's your everyday life? In the context of what the desire of your heart is, surrender to the will of God, hear this, that your normal Christian life, Crossing Point Church, is partnership between God and each one of you. That's really it. It's a partnership between God and you. A co-laboring, a friendship, a son to a father, when it comes to God the Father, a friend to Jesus. And that partnership is played out in your everyday living, be it music, be it the office, be it at home with your kids and your family, your wife, whatever it is, it's played out in your everyday living as we become the gate of heaven. Obviously, when you start talking about gates of heaven, it's a whole different different sermon but we are the gate the transitioning place why because it's in you where's the kingdom in the holy spirit where's the holy spirit in you you are the transition place where heaven should i mean wherever jesus went did did the kingdom come why because he walked in the holy spirit and he released he became the gate on earth for the kingdom and then he opened that gate and he poured his, that gate, the kingdom, into each one of you so that you become the gate. That's why when you have your will surrendered, you become the gate. You know, I've been with Brendan when he's, I've watched at night quarter, and, and if you, and, and when he's been playing with someone else, in, in a secular environment, you go try and say hello to him, he's got his eyes closed. Why do you have your eyes closed? You know, when you're in worship, you've got your eyes closed. Unless he's nervous, but he's not. But it's, why? Because it's in him. Because that's what he does. He's a worshiper. He's not a musician. He's a worshiper. 
And so he may be at a secular environment serving a secular friend who does not know Jesus. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, I don't know. But he may be there, but for him, he's the gate. When we, when we do what we do as the everyday life, we are actually operating under an anointing. When your will is surrendered unto him, he flows through you. People can be ministered to through his music without him even saying a single word. Just through playing and an anointing coming. It's the same with you. Same with me. I'm not, it's just he's an easy example to use because it's, it's easy to use a musician. You know what I mean? Especially someone who's involved in, in and out of the church. So the partnership of God, sorry, we become the gate of heaven. And when we become the gate of heaven, and that's what he's saying here, we release the manifestation. Listen to that. We release the manifestation. Now, manifestation is a big word that freaks people out sometimes. It simply means this. If there's nothing in my hand, you can't see it. But if something materialized in my hand, like for example, this cup suddenly just appeared. Imagine I said to you, there's a cup of water in my hand and none of you could see it. And then all of a sudden, you, it just manifested. It materialized is another word. And the, the, the matter from another realm materializes into this realm. Does that make more sense? Okay? Star Trekkers. I, I ended up having a late coffee yesterday and I couldn't sleep. And so I sat on my couch and watched, and I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't watch these things, but I was so awake and I wanted to just sleep and I ended up watching Star Trek. I don't know why, but it was a Star Trek movie, Star Trek movie, Star Trek movie. You know when the guys go away? And then they, what do they call it? Beam me up, Scotty, that thing. Then all of a sudden they materialize in another place. And people are like, what the heck? This guy's just suddenly there and he's got a gun like ready to kill the guy. You know what I mean? That's pretty much what happens. The manifest, the materialization of God's reality comes into, into this reality for the purpose of those around you. But it all starts, and who gets the glory? God. But where does it start? With Him choosing you. Why did He choose you? Because He saw the desire in your heart, and He wants to give it to you. So that when that desire comes into fruition, it manifests the reality of His kingdom for the benefit of those around Him, those around you, so that they see God and give glory to Him. That last sentence could have been my whole sermon. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's really what it is. He chooses you because of what's in you, that when it's realized, manifests him to those around us, so they give glory to him. And then somehow, somehow, when, when, when the Grammy is being awarded or the, the Oscar is being awarded to God, he tends to pull you in and go, we did it together. It was a co-laboring. And you're like, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that was. That's David. All this we have is really yours. And David's like, my son, look what he did. He was in his heart to build the temple. And David's going, but actually, none of this would have happened without you. And the honor is just circled, circled back. And then the king says, you'll do greater things than I've done. What? You will. Do you believe that? No, most of us don't. But it's a reality. It's a reality to him. It may become a reality to you. Amen? Let's pray. How's that? Eh? I'm actually getting better and better. Bang on, on seven. Maybe give me, uh, maybe three minutes over. Thank you very much.